Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. We're going to start off today with a recipe from smittenkitchen.com for one of my favorite things in the world, stuffed cabbage. This is Alex's mom's stuffed cabbage. I have been promising you my mother-in-law's recipe for stuffed cabbage, or galupsi, which was her mother's recipe for stuffed cabbage, for ages. But you know what is even sadder about how long it has taken me to get this? That if I remember correctly, I jotted this recipe down on a page from my planner, yes, a planner, with written pages in it, many moons ago, my friends, while I was sitting in the back seat as we drove to check out some wedding locations. Alex and I got married in 2005. So readily, I have all sorts of places to blame for how long it has taken me to actually make the recipe at home. The first is Neptune on First Avenue, only my favorite place to sit outside for beers in the summertime. And if you think that stuffed cabbage can't taste good after a few Polish beers on a warm night, you obviously haven't tried it yet with a side of kielbasa and pierogies, please. Thank you. The second is Veselka, also in the East Village. This is where I go for my winter stuffed cabbage fix. I also go for cabbage soup. It's really yummy. And the third is Alex's mom herself, who often brings us extra that she has made, rendering it completely unnecessary for me to make any effort whatsoever to decipher my four-year-old notes. So, alas, this week it was brutally cold, and officially, time to break out the recipe. And of course, my notes made no sense, but fortunately, with some phone counseling, I think I did all right for a newbie. What I forgot to do, drying the cabbage leaves, led to a too watery sauce, and I also under-seasoned it. I hate that. But it's not like you could test uncooked beef, and yet it was still totally delicious. And I love it when I try to break recipes and they still come out well. <laughs> I consider it a good omen. So Alex's mom stuffed cabbage. Here's the recipe. You'll need one head of Savoy cabbage, one pound of ground beef, one small to medium onion, chopped small, two tablespoons of olive oil, one carrot shredded, one celery stalk thinly sliced, one parsnip shredded, one half cup of uncooked white rice, and one to two tablespoons of tomato paste, and three to four cups of your favorite simple tomato sauce, tomato juice, or V8. So you're gonna cut out the core of the cabbage, but leave it whole, and then place it with the empty core area facing up in a large bowl. Boil a small pot of water and pour the water over the cabbage and let it sit for 10 minutes. Then you're gonna heat the oil in a saute pan. I like to use the large one that I will cook the final dish in, a deep 12 inch saute pan just to save dishes. Cook the onions until they're soft and add the carrot, celery, and parsnip and saute them for a couple of extra minutes until they're also soft. Season the mixture with salt and pepper, transfer it to a bowl and let it cool a bit. Mix in the meat, rice and tomato paste and season again with salt and pepper. Then drain the head of cabbage. Pull off large leaves, cut out the large vein. If the leaf is very large, you can make two rolls from each. 
If it is smaller, you can cut the vein out partially and pull the sides to overlap before you roll it into one roll. Pat the leaves dry with towels and then roll about one quarter to a third cup of filling in each leaf, depending on the size of your leaf, and arrange in a large wide pot. Pour in enough juice or sauce to cover the rolls and then bring to a boil and reduce the heat, letting them simmer covered on the stove on low for about 45 minutes. Serve immediately. If the sauce has thinned a bit, you can heat up any additional sauce you didn't use and pour it over as you serve the rolls. Yum. <laughs> Seriously, I love that stuff. Our next is homemade merguez with herby yogurt. I had lunch with Julia Tertian a couple of months ago, mostly so I could fangirl out and try to sponge up some curl tips for my moppet. And one of my favorite things she told me was that when she moved from Brooklyn to upstate with her wife, her cooking changed because all of a sudden she was doing it every day. She felt she got better at cooking from her gut, throwing meals together with whatever they had. It's simply not an option to eat out or order in every night the way she could before. So not every meal could be a performance piece. Sometimes it's just chicken on the grill with a good sauce and a salad on the side. If you're anything like me, but with a cleaner apartment, I bet, you're thinking, wait, tell me about the sauce. Because odds are, like the avocado cucumber salad I spied on the side of her plate a year ago and ran off to tell you about, it's something crazy simple that you didn't realize you knew how to make, and now you're 300 times more excited to grill chicken and make salad tonight. The good news for us is that Tertian, who previously only hid her cooking talent behind larger-than-life names like Mario Batali, Gwyneth Paltrow, Dana Cohen, Hot Bread Kitchen, Bouvet, Fat Radish, seriously, I'm just getting started, finally penned her own book, with all the great simple sauces and 400 thing, other things that I cannot wait to cook. So our conversation did not turn into sausage making, but apparently she does this too. Meat grinders, casings, no thank you, right? But once she realized that sausage is essentially highly seasoned ground meat, she began forming them into patties and for ambitious but not too ambitious weeknight meals, her merguez is perfect. Sure, I can get around here, here from a couple of good butchers, but it's often too spicy for the kids, and this is so much better. Seasoned exactly to taste and crispy from the pan. You serve it with an herb yogurt, and for us, a tomato cucumber salad on the side and some pita wedges. You can also make them into little sliders in pitas with a tahini sauce and crunchy greens falafel style. And then one day you might be at lunch and will casually drop that you made sausage last night. And it took about 15 minutes because this is us now, people who make amazing things on weekday nights like it's no big deal, or at least tonight. Here's the recipe, homemade merguez with herby yogurt. Hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, homemade M-E-R-G-U-E-Z. This serves four to six and takes 15 to 20, excuse me, 15 to 30 minutes. So this recipe is adapted just barely from Julia Tertian's Small Victories. Merguez is a spicy, fresh sausage in North African cuisine and is also popular throughout the Middle East and Europe. 
It's usually made with mutton or beef. We're going to use lamb. Harissa usually gives it a characteristic red color, and Tertian calls it for two tables calls for two tablespoons. But because I have kids uh, who would not appreciate it, I use just a little squeeze. You can adjust it to taste as well. Oh, and if you're feeling extra ambitious, you can also make your own very delicious harissa. But I was out and I used this, and there's a link at smittenkitchen.com. So to serve, you're going to need one half cup of plain yogurt, a small handful of finely chopped leafy uh, fresh herbs, parsley, cilantro, mint, chives, dill, or a mix thereof, plus a few roughly chopped to serve. A teaspoon of one teaspoon of red wine vinegar or more to taste, kosher salt, olive oil, a handful of shredded red cabbage to serve, this is optional, and lemon wedges to serve. For the sausage, you'll need kosher salt, one half teaspoon of cumin seeds, or a heaped one half teaspoon of ground salt. <laughs> I'm sorry, ground cumin seeds. One half teaspoon of coriander seeds, or a heaped one half teaspoon ground. One half teaspoon of fennel seeds, or a heaped one half teaspoon ground. And one teaspoon of sweet paprika. Two garlic cloves, minced. Two tablespoons of harissa paste. I just used a small squeeze, or you can do, you have another hot sauce if you prefer, and one pound of ground lamb at room temperature. You're going to make the herby yogurt. You can by mixing the yogurt, the finely chopped herbs and vinegar in a small bowl, season to taste with salt and extra vinegar if desired, and then set aside until needed. Make the merguez. If you're using whole spices, you're going to toast them in a dry skillet over medium heat for a few minutes until they're fragrant, and then grind them in a spice grinder or with a mortar and pestle. You're going to combine the lamb spices, including paprika, harissa, garlic, and one teaspoon. Well, Tertian called for one and a half, which was very salty, and we liked it, but probably not for everybody. Uh, so I'd, I'd do one teaspoon of kosher salt and mix to combine. Then you're going to form it into 12 mounds. As far as doing it ahead, you can keep the mixed meat patties and herb yogurt in the fridge for up to three days. Then you're going to heat a large, heavy skillet over high heat. Coat with olive oil, and once it's very hot, you're going to add a few sausage mounds. Once they hit the frying pan, flatten them with the back of your spatula. Cook until brown and crispy underneath, then flip and cook for another minute or two. Drain on paper towels and repeat with the remaining meat. Serve the patties warm with herby yogurt and scattered with extra herbs and shredded cabbage if desired, plus wedges of lemon to squeeze over. Next, we've got a recipe for pasta and white beans with garlic rosemary oil. If you have a thing for chocolate, the world is your oyster. On this very site, 86 of the just over 800 recipes boast a significant chocolate component and entire sections of bookstores will be happy to fill in any cravings that I've missed. If you have a thing for bacon, the internet would be overjoyed to find you places to put it. Zillions even. Although, I'd proceed with caution before auditioning a couple of them. But if you have a thing for something slightly less prom, king, queen ingredient, say 
tiny white beans. Well, it can be tough. It's not that there are no uses for them. It's just that when you're very much in love, there are never enough ways to be put together. And if you're me, someone who sometimes ups and makes a mega pot of white beans just because you feel like it, presuming you'll find things to do with them later, you sometimes end up scrambling, yanking down nearly every cookbook in your collection, but still coming up bereft of uses outside the well-trodden soup and salad territory. So tell me, what are your favorite uses for beans outside the ever-popular realm of chili, tacos, soup, and salad? Really, I'm hankering for more inspiration. I ended up finding some, but never enough, in this month's Bon Appetit, and a stack of pasta recipes you will find it impossible to choose among from Sarah Jenkins of Porchetta and Porcena and Green Bean Salad Sigh fame. <laughs> I was so charmed by the short tubes of pasta with chickpeas, I made it almost immediately. But maybe it was because I've overdone it on chickpeas this month? But I kept thinking it would be nice with something, I don't know, daintier. And considering that it's an established fact um, in Italy, where I suspect both my white bean and artichoke obsessions could roam free, that white beans, garlic, rosemary, and olive oil are a combination sent from above. I had a hunch they'd be happy to be here, too. Here is the recipe. Pasta and white beans with sizzling garlic rosemary oil. Adapted barely from Sarah Jenkins via Bon Appetit. For the pasta, I used penette because I thought it nicely matched the little white beans, which are Rancho Gordo's Alubia Blanca. Sarah Jenkins called for ditalini to go with chickpeas. You can use whatever you'd like. Short tubes, even elbows, and canned beans are just fine here. I streamlined the recipe a bit to reduce the number of bowls and pots used. Um, this makes a lot of pasta because you're using a whole pound plus two cans of beans. So it's a great recipe to consider having if you wish to finish it before spring comes. So you'll need one medium onion cut into big chunks, one medium carrot in big chunks, one celery stalk in big chunks, six garlic cloves, four left whole and two finely chopped, one half cup of flat leaf parsley leaves, one quarter teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes or to taste, one half cup of olive oil divided, coarse or kosher salt, uh, two to three tablespoons of tomato paste, three and a half cups of cooked drained beans, save the cooking liquid for water um, in the recipe if desired, or two 15-ounce cans of small white beans, such as Great Northern or Canelli, Cannellini, rinsed. One pound of short tube pasta and one tablespoon of minced fresh rosemary. You're gonna pulse the onion, carrot, celery, whole garlic cloves, parsley, and red pepper flakes to taste in a food processor until they're finely chopped. Heat one quarter cup of oil in a large heavy pot over medium heat and add the vegetable mixture to the pot. Quickly rinse, but no need to fully wash and food processor as you will use it again shortly. Season generously with salt and then cook, stirring from time to time until the vegetables take on a bit of color, about 10 minutes. Add tomato paste. Uh, the original recipe calls for two tablespoons, but we enjoyed it with three and cook it into the vegetables for another minute. 
Add one cup of water or bean cooking liquid and use it to scrape up any bits stuck to the pot. Let simmer until liquid has almost disappeared about five to eight minutes. Then you're gonna add your beans and two more cups of water or again the bean cooking liquid to the pot and simmer until the flavors meld about another 15 minutes. Meanwhile, cook pasta until al dente or still a little firm inside. I know you didn't ask for one, but I can insert an argument for al dente pasta here. Um, the thing is, you don't want your pasta to fully cook in the water. If you do, it won't have any absorbency left to drink up and become one with that delicious sauce. I've really found that finishing pasta in its sauce is the single thing that most swiftly improved the quality of my pasta dishes. That is a good tip. You're going to reserve one and a half cups of cooking water from your drained pasta and then transfer one cup of the bean mixture to your rinsed food processor and puree it until smooth and then stir it back into the sauce to thicken it. Add drained pasta and one half cup cooking liquid to the bean sauce and cook the mixture together, adding more pasta liquid cooking, pasta cooking liquid as needed until the sauce coats the pasta about one or two minutes. To serve, you're gonna heat the remaining one quarter cup of olive oil in a tiny saucepan over medium low heat with garlic and rosemary until the sizzling stops. Then divide your pasta between serving bowls and drizzle garlic, rosemary, olive oil over each. And if you are us, you will finish this with a few flakes of sea salt and then eat it at once. Our next recipe is from the Green Smoothie Girl. Haven't had anything from her for a while for chocolatey mint coffee smoothie recipe. So when I'm craving something sweet, chocolatey, and delicious, my chocolatey mint coffee smoothie is my go-to. Perfectly energizing in the delightful combination of coffee, mint, and chocolate, the smoothie is one of my favorite ways to start the day. So you'll need one quarter cup of oats, one frozen banana, one cup of spinach, three quarters cups of almond milk, one half cup of cold coffee, and one scoop of either green smoothie girl, bone broth protein in the chocolate flavor, or any kind of um, protein powder of your choice uh, that's chocolate. And then one eighth teaspoon of peppermint extract. You're gonna add the oats to the blender and blend until they reach a flour-like consistency. Then add the remaining ingredients and blend the mixture until it's smooth. That sounds like a pretty good breakfast to me. Next, we're going to have a recipe for something called Big Crumb Coffee Cake. It took me almost eight months to make this recipe. It took less than two seconds to regret waiting that long. Let this serve as a warning. It doesn't happen to you. Make sure you make this right away. This is the Big Crumb Coffee Cake of my dreams. And oh, I have dreamed about this for a very long time, like 15 years, I'm afraid to say. It dates back to the bakery where I worked in high school that used to fill a sheet tray with gorgeous cinnamon and brown sugar clustered buttery crumbs, spread a thin layer of cake donut batter over it, and once baked, flip it out onto a tray where it was showered with an avalanche of powdered sugar. The proportions were perfect every time, one-third cake to two-thirds of the kind of rubble that were impossible to walk by without pulling off a piece of crater leaving telltale sign 
Not that I would do a thing like that. Of course not, but I sure did think about it, and honestly, I still do. I haven't found an acceptable substitution since, and please do not even waste my time with these so-called excuses for crumb coffee cakes from the Seinfeld hoarding drakes to Entenmann's. I don't even want their thin, small, and barely adhered to crumbs near my big crumb coffee cake, lest their mediocrity smudge its splendor. A tangy, impossibly moist, vanilla-flavored cake base sealinged with hefty crumbs that will make all streusels that came before it pale in contrast. Oh, and rhubarb. Or the reason it took me eight months to make this. Before I knew it, the rhubarb were gone from the store last summer, and I was stuck waiting until this year's rhubarb season, which is still months away. I tapped my feet, I marked my calendar, I pondered alternative fillings, ones that I think you will enjoy as well, but I really wanted rhubarb. Then last week, I saw some at the store. Not even great-looking ones, mind you, and I snapped. I had Melissa Clark's rhubarb big crumb coffee cake in front of me in a matter of hours, and even though it is gone, foisted on co-workers and friends and anyone who promised to get it out of my arm's reach, I can still smell it and I can still taste it. Here's the recipe. Big crumb coffee cake with rhubarb, adapted from the New York Times, June 6th of 07. It's not rhubarb season? Well, don't fret. I think this cake would be amazing with a blueberry, raspberry, sour cherry, or any other tangy fruit filling that you can think of. Simply adjust the sugar level accordingly. Most of these will need far less than rhubarb does to make them palatable. So you're going to need butter for greasing the pan. And for the rhubarb filling, one half pound of rhubarb trimmed, one quarter cup of sugar, two teaspoons of cornstarch, and one half teaspoon of ground ginger. For the crumbs, you'll need one third cup of dark brown sugar, one third cup of granulated sugar, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, one half teaspoon of ground ginger, one eighth teaspoon salt, one half cup of butter melted, one and three quarters cups of cake flour. So I was out and I used all purpose and it worked just great. So for the cake, you'll need one third cup of sour cream, one large egg, one large egg yolk, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, one cup of cake flour, again, ditto on the all-purpose flour, it worked just fine, and one half cup of sugar, one half teaspoon baking soda, one half teaspoon baking powder, one quarter teaspoon salt, and six tablespoons of softened butter cut into eight pieces. You're gonna preheat your oven at 325 degrees, grease an eight inch square baking pan. For the filling, you're gonna slice a rhubarb a half inch thick and toss with the sugar, cornstarch, and ginger, and then set aside. To make crumbs in a large bowl, you're gonna whisk the sugars, spices, and salt into the melted butter until smooth. Then add flour with a spatula or a wooden spoon. It will look and feel like a solid dough. Leave it pressed together in the bottom of the bowl and set it aside. To prepare the cake in a small bowl, stir together the sour cream, egg, egg yolk, and vanilla. Using a mixer, mixer fitted with a paddle attachment, mix together the flour, sugar, baking soda, baking powder, and salt. Add butter and a spoonful of sour cream mixture and mix on medium speed until the flour is moistened. 
increase the speed and beat for 30 seconds. Add the remaining sour cream mixture in two batches, beating for 20 seconds after each addition and scraping down the sides of a bowl of the bowl with a spatula. And then scoop out about one half cup of batter and set it aside. Next, you're gonna scrape the remaining batter into a prepared pan, spoon the rhubarb over the batter, dollop the set aside batter over the rhubarb. It does not have to be even, so don't worry about that. Next, using your fingers, break the topping mixture into big crumbs about one half inch to three quarter inch in size. They do not have to be uniform, but make sure that uh, most are around that size. And then you're gonna sprinkle that over the cake. Bake the cake until a toothpick inserted into the center comes out clean of batter. It might be moist from the rhubarb, so just be aware of that. And it'll take about 45 to 55 minutes to, to bake. Then you're gonna cool completely before serving. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.